Section number nine of Essays on Art. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Essays on Art by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Translated by Samuel Gray Ward. Section number nine. Letter two. Your kind reception of the young man who presented himself with a letter from me has conferred on me a twofold happiness, as it procured him such a satisfaction and me, through him, a lively account of yourself, your circumstances, your labors, and plans. The lively conversation of which you were the subject concealed from me in the first moments of his return, how sadly he had changed during his absence. When he went to the academy, he was full of promise. He left school strong in his Greek and Latin, with a good knowledge of both literature, well-skilled in ancient and modern history, not unpractised in mathematics, and whatever else goes to make up a scholar. And now, to our infinite dismay, he comes back a philosopher. To philosophy he is especially, nay, exclusively devoted. And our little society, who in truth can boast no great philosophical attainments, is altogether at a loss on what grounds to meet him. What we understand he does not care for. That which interests him we do not comprehend. He speaks a new language which we are too old to catch from him. What a strange thing is this philosophy, especially the new school. To enter into one's own self, to keep up an espionage on the operations of one's own soul, to be shut up in oneself in order to come to a better understanding of matters and things. Is this the true way? Does the hypochondriac see things more clearly because he is always rooting and undermining within himself? Truly, this philosophy appears to me to be a sort of hypochondria, a spurious propensity to which men have given a high-sounding name. Pardon the warmth of an old man, of a practical physician. But... No more of this. Politics have never succeeded in souring my disposition, nor shall philosophy now do so. So let us away to the asylum of art. Let me hasten to my history, so that my letter may not leave out the very matter for which I begun it. It was after my grandfather's death that my father first began to show what an especial satisfaction he derived from a particular class of works. He delighted in the faithful initiation of natural objects, which branch of art had at that time reached a high degree of perfection by the use of watercolors. At first, he purchased a few pieces of this sort. Afterwards, he kept painters in pay to paint birds, flowers, butterflies, shellfish, all which must be imitated with the greatest exactness. Nothing remarkable could turn up in kitchen, garden, or field. The pencil must fix it upon the paper and thus he had preserved many specimens in various classes, which I find highly interesting to the lovers of natural history. By degrees he went farther. He took a flight into the region of portrait. He loved his wife, his children, he was attached to his friends, and hence the collection of portraits had its origin. You will call to mind also many little oil portraits painted on copper. Great artists have in former times painted such, either as relaxation or out of friendship, Hence the practice was esteemed and grew into a distinct species of painting to which various artists devoted themselves. This class of pictures has in one respect a peculiar advantage, a portrait of the size of life. Were it only a head or a half length, always takes up too much room for the interest it affords. Every man of right feeling in 
easy circumstance should have portraits painted of himself and his family, and that too at the various epochs of life. Characteristically set forth in small compass by a clever artist, they would take up but little room, and thus one could collect all his friends around him, and posterity would always find a corner for such company. A large portrait, on the contrary, especially in these latter days, is too apt to disappear with the original, and give place to its heirs, and the fashions change so much that one's grandmother, no matter how well she be painted, is hardly at home among the carpets, the furniture, the novelties of her descendants. Nevertheless, the artist depends upon the amateurs of his century, and the amateurs upon his contemporary artists. The good master, who knew only how to paint those little portraits, died. A new one was found, who painted the size of life. My father had long desired to have such an one at hand. The object of his wishes was to see himself and his family the size of life, for as he had always insisted that every bird, every insect that was represented should be accurately imitated in size as well as all other particulars, so did he wish to see his own image set forth on canvas, as accurately as he saw it in the glass. His wish was at last gratified. A clever man was found who was persuaded to remain a long time with us. My father was good-looking, my mother a handsome person, my sister surpassed all the ladies of the neighborhood in beauty and grace, so all must be painted, nor was one representation by any means enough. My sister especially, as you have seen, sate in more than one character. Preparations were even made for a great family piece, which, however, never got beyond outline, as neither the subject nor the grouping could be agreed upon. After all, my father remained unsatisfied. The artist had been formed in the French school. The pictures were harmonious, spirited, and had natural air. Yet though they bore a resemblance to their originals, they left much to wish for. And there were some where the artist, out of compliance, had endeavored to make use of my father's disconnected hints that were utterly spoiled. At last, however, my father's wishes were gratified in their full extent, in an unexpected manner. The son of our artist, a young man full of talent who, during his education, had been living with an uncle, a German, who destined him for his heir, came to visit his father, and my father discovered in him a talent that highly delighted him. He would have my sister painted forthwith, which was done with an incredible fidelity. And the result was a picture, not indeed the most tasteful, but full of nature and truth. There she stands now, just as she used to walk in the garden, her brown hair partly falling about her forehead, partly braided back in heavy masses and fastened by a band, her sunbonnet on her arm filled with the choice pink on which my father set the highest value and a peach in her hand from a tree which that year bore fruit for the first time. Fortunately, these objects were represented with great fidelity without being tasteless. My father was enchanted and the old painter gladly made way for his son, which, whose work began an altogether new epoch in our house, which my father regarded as the most satisfactory period of his life. Each one was now painted with the objects he usually had about him or was busied about. I dare not detain you longer with these pictures. You cannot forget the comic assuity which my Julia collected together all the still life of the pictures, so far as the originals were yet to be found in the house, 
in order to exhibit to you the exact truth of the imitation. There were the grandfather snuff box, his great silver watch, his topaz-headed cane, the grandmother's work box and earrings. Julia had even preserved an ivory plaything that she holds in her hand in one of the pictures where she is represented as a child. She placed herself under the picture. The toy still looked the same, but the maiden was changed enough, and I remember our sport upon that occasion. In the course of a year, we had portraits, not only of all the family, but all the furniture. No wonder the young artist found it necessary, when his work became uninteresting, to invigorate himself by a look at my sister, a remedy he found the more effectual that he seemed to find in her eyes that which he looked for. In short, the young people determined to be one for life and death. My mother favored their wishes. My father was too happy to fix in his family so remarkable a talent which he now could not dispense with. It was settled that our friend should first make a journey through Germany to secure the approbation of his father and uncle, and after that become ours forever. All this was speedily accomplished, and though his absence was not long, he was able to bring back a pretty sum of money that he had earned at the various courts on his road. The happy pair were united, and our family became a scene of content that lasted during the lives of its members. End of section 9